Hello and welcome to The Place to Be, a Seinfeld podcast. I'm your host, Adam. And I'm Eric. On today's episode, we welcome Daniel Gerald. Daniel is a wonderfully gifted actor who has appeared in television, theater, and film over his illustrious 40-year career. But we'll always remember him for playing Simon in the classic season six episode, The Soup, and we are so honored he can join us today. Thank you for being with us, Daniel. Oh, God, it's my pleasure. Uh, before we get started, we're just going to uh, just wanted to ask you, uh, where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? Well, I, 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 I was born in London and I had a, a, a somewhat confusing background. I was sent to a boarding school in Switzerland when I was six and I complained bitterly and uh, I said I wanted to be closer to home. So they switched it to Scotland, where I spent <laughs> the rest of my <laughs> education. And then sometime um, a couple of years at a school in London. Uh, my mother is was American and which led to the ability to come and work over here, which I began to do in 1980. You studied law and philosophy in college, so what made you decide to transition into acting? Well, I knew from a very early age that I was going to be an actor, but in order to satisfy my parents' aspirations, neither of whom were educated beyond the age of 13, they wanted me to be a lawyer. So I went and did a joint honors course in law and philosophy at the university, and um, after a week of that, I knew I was out of there. So I spent the rest of the year having, I, you know, the, the great thing about getting into a good university is you generally have the sort of IQ where you can figure things out about having to live your life. And I realized that the pool hall was always empty during lectures. <laughs> and so I was never at a loss for getting a billiard or a snooker table for the entire year that I was supposed to be studying these esoteric subjects. And then at the end of that year, I had been offered a place at a, um, a respected drama school in London, so I left and uh, followed my dream. And uh, you landed a post in a summer stock company where you learned a new play every week for six weeks. Uh, what was that like, and what did you learn most from that experience? That was extraordinary. What I learned m most, I suppose, is that I could probably never do it again. But the um, well, it was it was wonderful. You 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 had a, a play. You played the leading role. It's an enormous role. You learn it. And then you open it on a Thursday night. And then on the Friday morning, you come to the theater, they hand you a script for the next week's play. And you have one week to learn that when you can barely remember the play you've just finished. And you have to perform every night while you're learning the second play. The second play also um, opens on a th the following Thursday, the Friday morning, you're handed another script. And you're doing and it was and yet we still had time to go to the beach, um, you know, have to, to date, to put it, you know, um, euphemistically, and <laughs> to, um, you know, have a life. It was, it was an extraordinary experience. And I think that having not been particularly good as a student at drama school, the two things taught me about acting. One was no way out. You have to be there. And the other one was they handed me at the end of each week cash. Oh. I'm being paid and oh my god that is i mean that is such an educational technique that cannot be beaten pay somebody to be there they'll be there and what did you do next once that experience was over i was only 22 when i started acting and um after that uh, summer rep experience there was a play being done in london which was kind of 
going to London being in a play was way ahead of my expectation at that age. But they couldn't find anyone to play this very young man's role in this play. And they'd seen everybody. And then they decided to scrape the barrel. And so my agent said, listen, you know, they didn't really want to see you, but they can't find can't find anyone. And I, I, I went and I auditioned and I got cast in the role. And that was extraordinary. Because suddenly now I'm I turned 23 and I was uh, playing a leading role in, in London. And um, one that, that what should follow this is after that, it was all plain sailing. But after that, I was out of work for eight months. So (laughs) there are no guarantees, you know. Uh, So what made you decide to pursue acting roles in America? Well, I did a um, I did a play in London at the reputable Royal Court Theatre, which is famous for um, bringing some of the the 20th century's best playwrights to prominence. and the theater was almost going broke and they did a comedy by an unknown writer and again they couldn't find anyone for a particular role and again they scraped the barrel and came up with me and i landed this this role and it was a huge success and we moved to the west end and it ran for five years i left after the first year it was then picked up to be done on broadway this was in 1980 and um uh, I got a call to go and, and and repeat my role on Broadway. So I agreed. But unfortunately, I didn't have a work permit. And so I spent a year getting my green card. And by the time I did, the play had already opened and closed on Broadway. Uh, but I was, I was, you know, I had the benefit of this work permit. And so I came to New York for a weekend for a friend's wedding. Uh, auditioned for a play uh, for fun, got cast in the play, and then another play came along, and then another, and then I started doing TV and movies, and soon I had careers in on two continents, and I was just popping back and forth. Uh, yeah, and one of the first major film roles you landed was in the Oscar-winning Chariots of Fire. Mm-hmm. What was it like being a part of that? Well, that was an extraordinary experience, as, as you can well imagine. Um, <laughs> the, the the first audition was to meet at a sports ground in South London. And there were maybe like 300 young men actors. We were all running and it turned out quite by chance because I'm relatively athletic, that my running style, my form was extremely good. I don't think I was really ready to act at that point in my late 20s, or not in film anyway, uh, but I got cast and um, spent an entire year doing this remarkable piece and we weren't paid very much because this was cinema in britain and the couple of american stars who came over brad davis and dennis christopher were probably paid more for a week's work than we were for the whole year but i did score financially when i bet my then girlfriend that we would win the academy award <laughs> I think I won a thousand dollars on that uh, wager, so um, it turned out to be remunerative after all. And uh, over the next several years, you'd appear in a number of roles in TV, theater, and film. Uh, when did you first hear about the role on Seinfeld, and what was that audition like? Uh, I was li- my wife, who does a lot, was quite a TV star by then. She had done 30-something, um, starred in a series called Sisters for about six years. Her name is Patricia Callenberg. Um, We were out living in L.A. at the time, and um, I was begrudgingly 
allowing myself to be submitted for TV. I was having a slightly English arrogant um, snootiness about this this, this, <laughs> this medium called television. But um, it's where, you know, my wife was doing so well. And I thought I, I should have a crack at this. And uh, I was called in to read for this role for Seinfeld. And I hadn't even seen it, really. And what always happens is you you turn up at the studio. I think it's called Radford. Uh, you probably know this better than I do. And um, you you go to the casting office. There'll be like 20 or 30 uh, similar actors reading for the same role. And, uh, you know, you go through the motions. And I, I know how, why I got cast, because I went into the room with Jerry and Larry David and a couple of other producers and writers. And in the script... Um, I read I read a scene and in the scene, um, the person reading uh, Julia's role said, oh, uh, this is my friend uh, Jerry. And I think what most actors would do is turn and go, oh, hi, you know, but instead I looked at him and, oh, hi, and ignored <laughs> it. And I saw peripherally Jerry and Larry David exchange a look like, OK, that's funny. And, <laughs> In the car on the way home. Actually, you can see it on the episode. It's, it, it's probably the best moment I had. Uh, I, they called me and said, that's it. You, you've got this. And then th what was interesting is that we, um, I think it was, it was the season when uh, they were really negotiating with NBC to pick it up. And um, the executives were coming in and putting on aprons and serving the craft services to us. It was, it was quite an extraordinary experience. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I was a bit nervous at first, and uh, which is evident in the taxi scene at the beginning. But after a while, I got. Uh, and my my favorite moment was um, backstage with Jerry. The two of us were like hanging out. Somebody else was doing something, and I noticed that I what what's great is 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 in England when you're an actor in a movie or whatever, you 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 don't do it for the money because there's no money. You don't do it for the glory because only Americans have glory. You do you do you work. <laughs> In movies and television for the food. The <laughs> catering is always fantastic. <laughs> so I'm looking around for all the really great, you know, food backstage. And all there was, there, 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 there were cereal boxes. <laughs> there were sodas. And there was, I mean, the coffee machine was like for adults only. And I thought, this is ridiculous. This is like Jerry's apartment. And so we, we, we had a chat and, and I was looking for something. I was starving, but I, I don't eat cereal, you know. <laughs> and he casually strolled in, poured a bowl of, I don't know, Fruit Loops or something and just ate it while we were chatting. And I'm looking at him going, do you ever eat anything? <laughs> and I said, you know, I mean, OK, OK. I mean, like, I'm an English actor. I, I enjoy my beer and my, you know, whiskey. I mean, I said... I said, you know, do, do you do you drink? And he went, no, not really. And I said, oh. And I said, I, I gosh, I, I mean, how often do you drink? He says, well, I might have a glass of wine every day or two. And I'm like, really? <laughs> and he said, well, what do you? I say, I have about three or four a day. <laughs> <laughs> and he and he looked at me with a mouthful of cereal for fuck's sake. And the man was already forty years old. And his response was. Oh, that's quite a lot. I was thinking, oh, you don't know some friends of mine in the old country. <laughs> yeah, completely different. Very. Different. I mean, in England, we used to do theatre. We would 
uh, we rehearse so much more in England in theatre than they do here. Here, sometimes you do only five hours a day, but back in England, you'd um, you'd arrive at nine o'clock, you'd do four hours work to one o'clock, and then you'd go to the pub for lunch. And everybody would have one or two beers, and the older actors would throw, throw back a quick scotch before <laughs> going back and doing another four hours work in the rehearsal room. And we still got the job done, you know? <laughs> I mean, I don't know whether the liver worked particularly well after the <laughs> first 20 years of one's career. But, yeah, it was different back in those days. Um, so were there any ma- major changes to the character from your initial audition compared to when you arrived on set? No, because what happens, unlike the world where I was raised, where you would audition and they talk to you and they say, OK, we're going to work with you on this play or this movie or this TV series. And it's going to evolve. In, in in the the modern age, especially in American TV, you go in with what you're going to be doing when they shoot. In other words, it's it's the product. They they buy what you bring into the room. They don't buy the potential. They buy the finished product. So I knew what I was hired for. I knew the little quirk that I'd achieved. And my job was just to live up to it. What was it like working with Julia Louis-Dreyfus, both on camera and off? She was absolutely delightful. I mean, just charming and smart. You know, there was always a, a, a kind of a joke back in the day when I was starting out. The actors were really the the, the stupid quotient of society. You know, <laughs> oh, you're an actor. <laughs> I'm so sorry. That was. And then what happened? Actually, Jerry Seinfeld has a, a whole routine about about this in his comedy where he talks about how back in the day it was you know well i want my child to be a lawyer or a doctor but now they say you know lawyer doctor comedian because it's now (laughs) a phenomenal way (laughs) to rise to the top of of society it's now i mean in a way the new royalty is the the showbiz luminary isn't that bizarre and actual royalty about whom i know quite a lot back in the old country they're the imbeciles I hope this doesn't go out in England, by the way. No, actually, you know <laughs> I really hope it does. <laughs> um, can you describe what Larry David was like on set? Well, he was great, but he was nervous because he he detected that I was uncomfortable in that taxi scene with Julia Louis-Dreyfus. And I, I actually, the worst thing an actor can do is overhear people talking about you. And he and Jerry were walking and, and Larry was going, I don't know, this isn't, you know, this is not great. And I can, they were talking about me and, and, and Jerry said, you know, he's just a little nervous, you know, whatever. And so they took time to sort of like do a couple of takes until I was more relaxed about it. But um, she was fabulous. I mean, they all were. It was it was I used to it was great just to hang out and listen to them all chit chat and tell jokes and, you know, make each other laugh. It was fun. Yeah, I was just going to say, I don't. I couldn't really tell that you were nervous at all or that there was any, I think it really fit well with the character because right off the bat, it was sort of this already tense relationship that you and Elaine had. So I think it was great. Like, even if, you know, maybe you were a little nervous, you're like, eh, it, that scene just came out great. You just come in hot and you come in swinging. Thank you. I, I think what, what was made me unnerved slightly was that, you know, I, I kind of, yeah. Actors always do this. You want, I wanted to get my hands on it and kind of tweak the script a little bit, do you know? Because what hap- this is what happens when you're in English. Another thing that happens when you're an English actor in Hollywood is when you do a TV sitcom, you're always, always called Nigel or Simon. I mean, <laughs> I mean, please give me an Aloysius one day. But it's so... 
there's a kind of a template. There's um, the cliched version of the Englishman, you know, and but I I was at that point. This is, God, this is like 25 years ago. I wasn't experienced enough in Hollywood to say, which so many actors do, um, which is give a suggestion. So I was a very good boy and I absolutely obeyed the rules. And, you know, listen, it's, the, it's one of the best written shows in town. So why would I complain about that? But one always does want to bring one's own authenticity, especially if you're playing a Brit and it's written by by an American. Yeah, but I agree with what Adam said. Like, I didn't detect any nervousness or anything in the scene. I thought, if anything, it helped because the scene was already very awkward just mm -hmm. in terms of you guys are mumbling to each other after the other one talks. Like, I was always <laughs> yeah. curious, did you ha actually have dialogue that you were saying or was that just all made up? No, it was dialogue. But as they, as they say in the old country, that's schmacting. <laughs> <laughs> Those all the scenes you're in are fantastic. Just you, you just have that great thing. And then when Jerry and Elaine are talking about, you, yes, he's one of those bounders. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Bounder, that's right. It's a great um, episode. I have to say, I, I was thrilled when I saw it in that. Oh, God, have you interviewed him? The guy who played the the, 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 the other comedian? Um, oh, Kenny Banya. Yeah. Oh, God, he was hilarious. You we know? haven't yeah, interviewed well, him yet, but we have we did interview the writer of the episode, uh, Fred oh, Stoller. Yeah. Uh, and he had some great insight into that episode. It's we, Adam and I really love that episode. We think it's very underrated. Exa very underrated. It's a hidden gem for sure. Mm hmm. I'm glad you think that. <laughs> and even though you didn't have any scenes with them, um, do you have any stories about Jason or Michael? Did you interact with them at all? Michael Richards, I mean, they were both, he and Jason were actually talking to Jerry one day. And Jerry was about to go and do some some huge event. And they were quite, they weren't just buttering him up. They were being quite authentic when they said, you know, Jerry, you have this incredible thing. When you walk into a room in front of an audience, we just know it's going to work. And he does. He has that. This um, extraordinary combination of being relaxed and on top of it. He's marvelous with with an audience. And I, I remember them. Oh, God, what were they? They were comparing the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. And they were saying, you know, yeah, the Rolling Stones, uh, yeah, you, you, you know what you're going to get with the Beatles there. Um, there's always so... It's so rich and complex and multifaceted. And then they brought up the name of that singer. I should, you probably should cut this out, even if I can remember it. Um, he lives in Connecticut. He's got long blondish hair and he covered a famous um, Motown song. Oh, my God. And Michael somebody. Oh, yeah, yeah. And all I remember is one of them. I think it was Michael Richards. Every time I hear him. I want to screw a hook into the ceiling, get a rope and hang myself. <laughs> it's the guy, oh. Michael Bolton? Yes. <laughs> as soon as you said that, I was like, Michael, long hair, want, want to kill yourself in your hair. Okay, there you go. <laughs> I'm sorry if Michael Bolton is listening. No. <laughs> <laughs> I think he lives in Westport, which is right near me, actually. Oh, that's funny. What is the most challenging part in playing a quote-unquote unlikable character on a sitcom and still being funny and lovable? You know, there, there is no – it's a lot easier than if you come in as a nice guy. Because if you come in as a nice guy, you, you have to some, have some kind of an edge or it isn't funny. In a way, it's a gift. If you're an arrogant dick or a bounder, 
<laughs> you know, you, 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 the material is there. You just have to be obnoxious and self-absorbed. Uh, so it's actually terribly um, easy to do. Uh, we, we all know as actors that it's, it's always more fun to play the bad guy than somebody heroic or whatever you know to be heroic you have to be you have to exude heroism which let's face it 90 percent of us in the business don't have and those of us that do get tom cruise's roles <laughs> <laughs> and your deliveries are so great like when you're talking to elaine and you're like do you have any cash and she's like yeah it's in my purse you're like no there was only six dollars <laughs> <laughs> right oh, God. Or when you're wearing the suit later oh how do i look I'm a shoo-in, aren't I? Yeah. <laughs> oh, you guys have really done your work. That's fabulous. Yeah. We can we could, we could do that all day. <laughs> or Elaine, are you trying to get rid of me? <laughs> <laughs> Hello, mate. Fancy a beer? <laughs> I'll tell you. I'll tell you a great thing. It was. Um, it was. Oh, about. Oh, two months after shooting it. Um, I can't, it was either, it was a wedding, my wedding anniversary or a birthday or something. We went to some relatively posh restaurant in, in, in Hollywood. And uh, across the room, there was Jerry with a date. And God bless him. All right. He didn't have to do this. I, and he looked up and gave me a wave like, hi. And I was like, of course, the group of people I was with were like bowled over. <laughs> and, and similarly, the TV show my wife was in was a reason that we were invited to um, be in the audience of the Golden Globes. And um, I was sitting at a table with, oh, was it Chris Maloney? Some some guy who was a huge star in one of the cop programs. And he didn't know who I was. And he was saying, you know, we, we were joking. He was looking around the room and he was pointing out all the important people that I should be nice to. And at one point, Larry David walked past our table and he nudged me and he said that that's Larry David. <laughs> and I looked up and Larry David went, hey, hi, how are you? And this guy, I can't remember, was it Chris Maloney is the name? The look on his face of utter <laughs> astonishment was just priceless. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> I have another Larry David story. Um, when oh, my, yeah. my daughter, we were living in the Pacific Palisades. My daughter turned... Uh, Sort of a, maybe she was six years old, and we went into the um, the public park there. It's an area where God, all the TV people seem to live, in. and we had one of those big inflatable things for the kids to bounce around in. And it was the end of the party; it was winding down, and Larry David arrived with his daughter. He wasn't part of the party; he was just there with his daughter, taking her to the park. And he saw this inflatable, and his daughter said, "Oh, Daddy, I want to jump in there." And he um, he he sort of sidled up to me and said, oh, hi, listen, can we borrow your moon jump? (laughs) (laughs) I said, yes, please do. And I stood there in amazement because she made him get on it with him. And she and Larry took his shoes off and just in his sports socks, the two of them jumping on my moon bounce in the park. (laughs) <laughs> after everybody else had gone home from the party oh I, wow i know that's a great memory <laughs> that's amazing so um so we mentioned this character before but in this episode it was the first time we see steve heitner as kenny banya mm-hmm. and um can you describe what it was like working with him and uh, what the atmosphere was like on set in general well he he had just come off 
being a regular or recurring in a really funny sitcom, which sadly had not been really picked up, but everybody knew him from it. I I hadn't Mm -hmm. actually seen this. And he was just hot at that time. He was so funny, so clever and so smart. And um, I didn't, I had very little to do with him except that kind of bizarre fight outside (laughs) when we're leaving the diner, you know? Um, And we, we hung out a bit, but he had that, he had that je ne sais quoi that certain really sharp comedic actors have. Um, very bright, no time for bullshit, and he was just a, a cool guy. Um, and it was, obviously, I didn't, you know, see his scenes until I eventually saw the show when it was on TV. And he, he's just terrific. He was absolutely perfect for that role. Mm. Just yeah. he just killed it. The embittered comic. You know, I mean, oh, and he yeah. did little. It was so deadpan. It was fabulous. <laughs> oh, it's so deadpan and so oblivious to Jerry cannot stand it. Every time he's in a scene with him, Jerry just cringes. He's like, hey, he's so smiley and happy. Oh, just amazing. <laughs> was there a particular scene that you enjoyed being in the most? I rather like the one near the end where I come down the stairs and I borrow 20 bucks or something. What was it? I just... I, I just come down and say the two of them are obviously talking about me and I come down between the two of them and I say, like, see you later or something and I'm gone. And they turn and look at each other with such a look of horror at, at my <laughs> character. And I think that's when they dubbed me the bounder. I, I'm, it's a long time ago. I don't quite remember. But that was fun. It was good. Yeah. Well, I also like how you're very dismissive to Jerry and then he gives you $20 and you're like, thanks, mate. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, and I won't be home for dinner. And she's like, pardon? pardon? <laughs> yeah. Well, the dismissive thing was, I think, what got me there. I, I read it. and It was written as though he's very unctuous and very friendly. Mm hmm. In order to get what he wants and i thought you know i think it's funnier if i'm just damn rude and get what i want and i i'm pretty sure that's what um convinced them yeah that was a great choice i think the accent makes it work too for sure <laughs> <laughs> oh i've been using it for decades <laughs> when you're on a show like seinfeld um i know you hadn't seen it before but are you able to be in the moment and appreciate the fact that you're a part of television history or is that something that you think about later on as you're kind of looking back I think by the time I did Seinfeld, even though I was saying I hadn't really done a whole lot of TV, I had done enough in terms of um, uh, working with uh, well-known people in in movies and everything that I was able to not focus too much on, you know, the the iconic element that mm-hmm. surrounding there because. You know, you can't really. It's interesting because they would um, they would raffle off to the public opportunities to for charity. They'd raffle off opportunity to be in the diner. Oh, yeah. Um, You know, and um, there was somebody there that day and he was sitting there just glowing. And you knew he was incredibly aware that he was part of something very special, even though he had no lines. He was just background. And, you know, you, you can't bring that sense of glorification if you have a responsibility to make it work mm-hmm. because you have to be relaxed enough that you contribute to it rather than um, feed off it in any way. So, I mean, the only time I, I there was, I did a, a movie called Big Business, which um, 
I had a featured role with uh, Bette Midler and Lily Tomlin. And that was, fortunately, we we filmed it for like six months. Uh, And after about a month, the first month, I was like, holy shit, I'm I'm just chatting with Bette Midler for fuck's sake, you know, that after all, you know, then you, it, it, all that dissipates you, and, and you, you can you can maintain a certain respect and awe. But, you know, you, you can't really work with that shit in your head, you know. <laughs> um, who did you bond with the most on set? Um, well, the only person I really had a chance with was Jerry. Um yeah, uh, uh, the the director, I think his name was Andy, was uh, really the, the 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 it's all in the control of Larry David and Jerry between the two of them. They they really what made it happen between them. Um, yeah, there's not a lot of time for that to be honest, because if you're not shooting, you're either watching the scene or you're in your dressing room or whatever. And this was pre cell phones, so. It was, um, you know, you couldn't actually go and play video games. So you was like kind of wandering around, bumping into the furniture most of the time. But so I'd sit and I'd watch the guys rehearse. And that was fascinating. What was your favorite part about working on Seinfeld that week? Um, probably each time the scene felt that it was nailed and we were told, great, we got it. We're moving on. It was like, oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. You know, because uh, you just want to not let the side down. Um, do you prefer acting in comedies or dramas? Um, much prefer comedy. I mean, I, I'm, I'm. Um, that's the real challenge, I think, for an actor. Being, it's, it's a, it's a well-known fact in the business that everyone can act angry. But it's impo- But it, it takes it takes a certain skill to act angry and be funny about it. You know, <laughs> uh, the, the 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 sort of those glorious human qualities of irony um, are come into play. You know, just touching something that makes people respond. Uh, I've just actually completed a um, a solo play which we couldn't do for an audience. Um, so I rehearsed it for three weeks and performed it in a theater in California. And instead of <laughs> living be the audience, I had three video cameras. And what they do is they, it is actually just open today. They're now showing it to all the subscribers of the theater. And that was a drama, but it was written. I actually commissioned it. It was written by a, a friend of mine and it had a, an element of humor and that is probably for me what's entertaining when something is really hard hitting and meaningful but you can actually laugh along the way is i think and and the great thing about seinfeld of course it wasn't just yuck yuck laugh laugh it was insights into being in new york in that period being of that age dealing with all the exigencies of making a living keeping friendships putting up with complete idiots <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, it's so true. And there's so much you can relate to, even if you even if you'd never lived in New York or you've never been there. You know, there's some there's always something that you can find out. You know, every time you put a tip in the tip jar, you think, yeah. like, oh, hopefully the guy sees me, you know. So, yeah, there's just always little Seinfeldisms oh, to happen. But it, it was brilliant. And I mean, the fact is, as well, is the moment um, it was broadcast wherever I, I went in New York City, everybody had seen it that week. You know, it was <laughs> extraordinary. Uh, experience um and even now i 
I, you know, living in Connecticut, I'd play in a soccer team and the guys of my age that play soccer, they say, oh, my God, my kids saw you on Seinfeld the other night. That is so cool. And it's like, oh, wow, OK, one week's work in my life. And look. And you mentioned it briefly before, but you're currently starring in a one man show called Dr. Glass, which is streaming on demand from now until August 15th. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and how that started? It's a novel written in 1905 by a major Swedish novelist. It is one of those books, rather like, say, Catcher in the Rye, that almost every Scandinavian kid has to read. It's a classic and nobody knows about it over here. And uh, I was alerted to it because I have a literary agent in Sweden who told me about it. And so I bought the rights of an English translation. I got one of the most eminent American playwrights, Jeffrey Hatcher, to craft it as a solo piece for me. We've been working on it for three years, and this theater in San Diego agreed to produce it. And I actually just got back from there a couple of weeks ago, having recorded it. And it's um, available through the, the, the it's called the um, North Coast Repertory Company in San Diego. And it's one of the greatest, it's this part thriller, part comedy, and um, a staggering, and if you don't get a chance to see it, if you ever find the, an English translation of the novel, Dr. Glass, G-L-A-S, it's a short 140 page read that will blow your mind. And I'm really curious. I want to check that out. Like, what would be the easiest way to to watch that? I can send you guys a link. What they do is they code it like I have a copy of it, but but no, you know, it's this computer code. No one else can see it. I have to actually tell you where to find it again. North Coast Rep. And it's um, I'll, I'll send you guys an email about it if you want to check it. It's, it costs like 30 bucks to watch. I'm sorry to say, but um, no, that's fine. I mean, and we can include the link in our episode right. description for anyone that wants to check it out. Yeah, absolutely. I'll email it to you this evening, uh, the, the link all about it when um, there's a trailer as well. And I'll try and, you know, the, the inter- I'm not very up on Internet stuff, but everything is so coded and secured and everything. It's, yeah. it's, sometimes it's hard to share stuff. And before we let you go, we're going to do our final segment. It's called This, That and the Other. Basically, we just ask you a question and the first thing that comes to mind, you just let us know. Uh Oh, <laughs> first one is if you could only choose one, would you choose theater, TV or film? Theater. Uh, what is your favorite city to perform in on stage and why? London, because they don't stand up and cheer just for the hell of it. You have to earn it. <laughs> nice. What role or performance are you most proud of? The most recent, Dr. Glass. Uh, who is the most talented actor that you've ever worked with? My first movie was with a legend of British theater and cinema. An actor by the name of Trevor Howard uh, was extraordinary. I admired him for so many reasons. One was he would drink all night long <laughs> and still be on the set at five in the morning, word perfect. And they even had a young assistant guy who'd have whose job it was to get Trevor to his hotel room and lock lock him in to put him to sleep. <laughs> And in the morning, we'd come down to the hotel bar and Trevor Howard would still be chatting to the barman and the young assistant would be asleep on a bench. (laughs) (laughs) 
And the guy, oh, he was one of the, the he was acknowledged as one of the great natural actors in the history of British film and theatre. And quite a character. Uh, what's the best piece of advice anyone has ever given you? You know, I, I had a very close friend who was a major English playwright called Simon Gray, and he <laughs> he wrote a, a, a TV movie and he was very funny. He says, I don't think there really is a moral to this story. All I can think of is. Whatever you do, don't. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> and that has stuck with me. Uh, what's the best performance, either in theater, TV, or film, that you have ever seen? I uh, saw Laurence Olivier do Long Day's Journey and Tonight in London. It was four hours long. Wow, that's awesome. And uh, I get bored very quickly when I'm in the audience. After four hours, I could have sat there and watched the whole thing over again. He was magical. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite film? I'm a bit of a sucker for the obvious. Casablanca. I can't yeah. go wrong with the classics. Can't go wrong with the, 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 those marvelous movies. That's the one that springs to mind each time. What about favorite band or musician? I'm I'm I listen to a very eclectic selection of music i'm mostly towards classical music and i um really wanted to know uh, every sort of music there was i listened to a lot and my youngest kid actually is in a band the band is his name tobias and he does a lot of very um experimental uh digital as well as playing the clarinet the guitar and the keyboards and the drums and everything and i find that an extraordinary test of my ability to appreciate things that i don't understand and i find in i'm reading actually a great book about um subversive history of music uh, about the history of music how fascinating it is how we got to where we think we know what music is but we only know half of it because you know, the Greeks told us how to appreciate music, but they didn't take into consideration African music, Asian music. And it's 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 an extraordinary world to live in, the nonverbal world of, of music. So I'm I don't really have a favorite. I'm just in love with the whole frickin thing. Uh, what is the most challenging part about directing? Casting and being patient <laughs> and not wanting to jump up and show them how to do it. <laughs> right. <laughs> And final thing, favorite moment in your career? Getting into drama school. It was one of those things where normally you you go once and then they whittle it down to a short list. Then you go again. The short list is made shorter. And then you wait and wait and wait and you wait a month. And then they tell you you didn't get in. And I and one other very close friend, we both auditioned on the same day for drama school. And we they both they took us both on the spot without any of the follow ups. And that was like, oh, thank God I don't have to go through. all that. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been an amazing. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we can't thank you enough, really. This was so well, great. Thank you. It's, it's my pleasure. I, I just hope, you know, that I can be some contribution to this, you know, enormous fabric you're creating, which is a history of one of the most iconic TV shows of all time. Yeah, you certainly are. And it's just so important. And we actually just did an episode recently um, about Elaine's boyfriends. 
So it's it's pretty fitting. And uh, you're definitely one of the standouts, one of the great memorable characters of the show. Well, thank you so much. I'm really glad you asked me to do this. Our pleasure. Yeah. And th- thank you for sharing your stories. And I look forward to seeing Dr. Glass. I, I really can't wait. Yeah, I'll- definitely. Thanks, guys. Have a great Bye. evening. Thank you for listening to our interview with Daniel Gerald. If you'd like to see Daniel's one-man show, you can email us at theplacetobeseinfeld at gmail.com, and we will happily send you a link. You can also find us on Facebook at The Place to Be, a Seinfeld podcast, Twitter at TPTBSeinfeld, and Instagram at theplacetobe.podcast. You can find our show on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, and Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like, please rate and review. It really helps us out. Until then, make sure to hang up your pants for the perfect crease. Here you are, as promised. You see, I'm a man of my word. When are you leaving? Delaney, are you trying to get rid of me? (laughs) (laughs) I was supposed to leave tomorrow, but all of a sudden I've been set up with a job interview that might enable me to extend my visit indefinitely. And it is all due to this suit. How do I look? I'm a shoo-in, aren't I? Thanks again, love. Hey, Kenny, you still want to get that suit back? Yeah. There it goes. Hey.